Hi everybody, I'm John Sherwood and this is my podcast where I seek to fuel faith in Jesus in the 21st century. I'm a minister of the gospel and believe in making disciples who make disciples because Jesus really is beautiful and amazing and worth following with everything that we have. You can check out more resources at my website, johnsherwood.com, where I write about the intersection of faith and modern culture, as well as Bible study, leadership, and faith interviews, all designed to help ignite and fuel faith in Jesus Christ. And with all that, let's dive into the episode. started last week as this is kind of the, the bookend, the last chapter of our Summer of Wisdom series. We've gone through Job, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, and now we're rounding out with this wisdom poetry. Last week we talked about the Psalms being these exile poems, right? Poems that were written, prayers that were written, songs that were written during a period of Israel's history where they were in exile, where they were longing to be reconciled to God again, His holy nation having a temple where he could be worshipped properly and there's all of this emoting in psalms all of this anguish and joy and elation and celebration and sorrow and as you read the book of psalms you really are taking through this myriad of human emotion and i think that's why the psalms are so easy to relate to why uh, some of the most famous and well-known passages of all the Bible are from the book of Psalms because it's so easy to connect with this human experience of pain and sorrow, joy and emotion. And that through it all, as we read the book of Psalms, we see that God is walking through all of this with us, that these Psalms are written, these writers are trying to connect with God and understand God and themselves and their circumstances. And I think that it's it's really great that we now, even thousands of years later, can still read these ancient exile poems and connect with God and cry out to Him and pray and sing. And last week we ended with a little bit of a homework exercise for us to write our own psalm, to write a poem or a song of lament or praise. And so what we're going to do today in the second installment of the book of Psalms is we're going to talk about the book of Psalms in particular, but also the larger book of uh, the scriptures as uh, ancient Jewish meditative literature. So let's take a look at this video. So the Bible is a collection of books written in different literary styles like narrative, poetry, and prose. And most of us are familiar with these kinds of literature. Yeah, we all know a narrative when we see one, like The Hunger Games or The Great Gatsby. And most people can recognize poetry, whether it's Walt Whitman or the songs of Bob Dylan. And every day we're surrounded by prose and news articles or essays. Now all of these examples are modern American literature in that they came from this time period and this region of the world. But there's also medieval English literature from from another place in time, or ancient Greek writings from this place in time. So each time period and culture produces its own unique kind of literature. And in order to read the Bible well, we need to keep in mind that it comes from this part of the world and was produced in this basic period of time. So what's unique about ancient Jewish literature? Well, a key feature is that it lacks a lot of the details that modern readers have come to expect in stories and poems. And this makes it seem really simple. But actually, it's very sophisticated literature. Every detail that is given matters. 
And that's great, but the lack of detail means that stories are often loaded with ambiguities. I mean, take one of the first stories, Adam and Eve in the garden. Where did this talking snake come from? And why did God allow him there? Why didn't Adam and Eve die on the spot like God said they would? And who's this offspring of the woman who will destroy the snake but is bitten by it? Yeah, so many puzzles in this story. And some of these are questions that we have and that are not important to what the author is focusing on. But some of these ambiguities are intentional. Intentional? Won't that lead to bad interpretations, people filling in the gaps with their own answers? Well, that's a risk the biblical authors took in writing this way. We all tend to impose our own cultural assumptions onto the Bible, but they apparently thought the risk was worth it. These oddities are really invitations into an adventure of reading and discovery. What do you mean? Well, for example, the strange promise about the offspring of the woman crushing and being bitten by the snake. That word offspring is a clue to pay attention to genealogies, which, lo and behold, run all through the biblical narrative. They trace the lineage from Eve all the way to King David and his offspring. And in the New Testament, Jesus is connected to the offspring of this royal line. Now, when you read the prophets, Isaiah connected this king to the suffering servant who would die on behalf of his people. And then in the book of Revelation, there's this symbolic vision. And can you guess? It's about a woman and her offspring. It's Jesus and his followers who conquer the dragon by giving up their lives. Yeah, so each part of the story there is loaded with ambiguities, but altogether, it makes sense. And this is the literary genius of the Bible. It forces you to keep reading and then interpret each part in light of the others. This is feeling complicated. I don't know if I can do all that. Well, you're actually not expected to notice all of this by yourself or all at once. This dense way of writing forces you to slow down and then read carefully, embarking on this interactive discovery process through the whole biblical narrative over a lifetime of reading and rereading. Ah, okay, meditation literature. Yeah, in Psalm 1, we read about the ideal Bible reader. It's someone who meditates on the scriptures day and night. In Hebrew, the word meditate means literally to mutter or speak quietly. The idea is that every day for the rest of your life, you slowly, quietly read the Bible out loud to yourself and then go talk about it with your friends, pondering the puzzles, making connections, and discovering what it all means. And as you let the Bible interpret itself, something remarkable happens. The Bible starts to read you. Because ultimately, the writers of the Bible want you to adopt this story as your story. So this ancient Jewish writing style, it must create unique types of narrative and poetry and discourse. Yes, and we'll explore all of those literary styles starting next with biblical narrative. Psalm chapter one, let's look together. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. But those whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. We read this last week, and we talked about how Psalms 1 and 2 is an introduction uh, to the entire book as a whole, and the way it's compiled, and the way it was comprised. 
And here we see this idea of someone, uh, as was mentioned on the video, someone who becomes kind of a, an ideal Bible reader, someone who meditates on the law day and night. This idea of meditating on the Word of God is something that I think is probably a little foreign to many of us. So you guys ready to get kind of weird and freaky this morning? Okay. We're going to like practice meditating. What immediately just came to your mind? Oh, oh. That's not what we're going to do. That's Eastern meditation. That's not what uh, the ancient Mesopotamian uh, meditation would have been or been understood as. So when the writer here is talking about meditate, he's talking about something that's very different than what we're used to. He's actually talking about this murmuring, this growling, this word Haggah is what's translated meditate in many of our versions. And this word is literally like the slow growl of a lion. To murmur, to mutter, to groan, to speak. And so to meditate, now in modern times when we read, when we read something, how do we read it? We read it silently in our head, right? When you read a book at home, you don't read it aloud to yourself, do you? If you did, what would most people think? That's a little weird, you know? We're trained to read things silently, right? And again, I think this is influenced and informed by our individualistic culture. This is foreign to ancient culture. Ancient culture, when something was read, it was always read aloud, even when you were reading to yourself. You read it to yourself aloud. And it was almost like you were murmuring it, muttering it. It wasn't just a proclamation like I'm doing now. It was a soft, quiet, reflective process. And so we're going to Haggah some psalms this morning. You ready? So I'm going to do it together with all of you through Psalms 1. And then we're going to take a few minutes to do it on our own. We're going to meditate on the Word of God in the morning right now. Because again... In the actual church, what are we about? Participation and not what? Spectation. If you came here to spectate, sorry, you're going to be disappointed. I'm not that great to watch. Okay, Psalm chapter 1. Let's Haggah this thing. You ready? We're going to murmur, mutter, read softly, quietly, but aloud to ourselves. you we were going to get weird with it this morning. What we're going to do is take a few minutes here to keep meditating on the Word of God. There are a few psalms up here as suggestions. I encourage you to pick a psalm or two 
And let's haga over these psalms, meditate over these psalms. And the difference between Christian and Jewish meditation as to what Far Eastern meditation historically has been that we typically think of as meditation, Far Eastern meditation is about trying to empty your mind, to clear out everything, to become nothing. That's not Christian or Jewish meditation. Meditation in this worldview is about actually filling our minds with something specific for a specific reason. And here, Psalm 1 talks about filling our minds, meditating on the Word of God. And so as we're haggaiing this morning, as we're meditating, I want to encourage you to not try to empty yourself, but to fill your mind and to focus your mind on the words of God. Let's take the next few minutes and let's mutter and groan and utter some psalms to ourselves. There's some examples on the screen if you would like to turn to some of those. Otherwise, turn to any song that you would like.
Okay. I would love to take some time to respond and sort of hear how this felt to you. Um, I hesitate to do that because I don't want to put anyone on the spot. Because I do, I do imagine that for many of us, this is kind of new. And it does feel a little awkward, right? Especially doing it not in the privacy of your own home or, you know, where no one else can, like, hear you groan and growl, growl and mutter and utter and haga, right? Some of this is kind of new and a bit foreign to us, but it's okay. Like, we live in Asheville. It's all right. We keep it weird. Um, but I think one of the things that I'm wanting to invite the church to do and, and to learn and to experience, and I think one of the things that the writers of the Psalms are still, thousands of years later, inviting us in wisdom, right? This whole series is about how can we take this ancient wisdom literature and have wisdom for our modern lives. And I think part of what we're being invited to do is learn how to meditate, learn how to fill our minds, learn how to think in a way that maybe is a little foreign to us, right? In our modern culture, our thinking is typically on like 10, right? Like we're on 10 always. We're thinking, we're going, there's always the next thing. We constantly have information coming at us. You know, we're tweeting this and we're, hearing this and we're seeing that and we have more stimuli, maybe more than any other time in human history. And part of what I think the Psalms is inviting us to do is to slow down, to be still, and to meditate. And that takes practice. It's not easy. I don't know about you, but I read for about three minutes and in that three minutes, you know how many things I thought about other than what I was reading? At least four different distinct thoughts in three minutes. I thought about the timer on here. I thought about my son. I, I thought about, I don't know what I was thinking about, but being able to focus our mind, even for brief amounts of time, I think is actually something that's radically underdeveloped for many of us. And something that was much more natural and practiced for our ancient brothers and sisters. And there's something, I think, in this kind of work, in this kind of skill, in this kind of practice that there's wisdom in. Wisdom where we can pause and slow down and think more clearly, more intentionally, where we can narrow our scope. I don't know if there's a correlation to all the stimuli and all of the increase in mental illness in the world. I don't know if there's a correlation there or not, but maybe there is. But how about we learn by practice how to slow down, how to mutter, how to meditate. And this takes intentionality, right? I remember at one point in my Christian life, I decided I wasn't going to listen to any music in the car. And I was living in Atlanta at the time, and you spend a lot of time in a car in Atlanta, if you've ever lived there, it takes about an hour to go a mile down the road. So you spend a lot of time in the car, right? And um, you learn how to adapt your schedule around traffic patterns and such things. Your life becomes about this commuting lifestyle, and it's horrible, and I'm glad I'm not there anymore. But I figured, hey, I've got to figure out a way to make this time behind this windshield meaningful, because if I don't, I'm gonna like give in to road rage and destroy someone. So, 
I said, no more music. We're going to only listen to the Word of God. So, you know, back then, you know, it was like CDs. We didn't have like all the MP3 players or the cloud streaming or whatever. And I'm like putting in physical CDs. They're these little shiny disc things about this big. And they're kind of like reflect light and red by laser beams and stuff. This is ancient technology. So I put these things in, and I'm listening to the Word of God being read. It's just an audio, you know, Bible CD. And I remember at one point a brother getting in my car, and um, uh, the car I was driving at the time did not look like the car that you would expect an audio Bible CD to be coming out of. And so he got in, and he was like, you know, I've got subwoofers in the trunk and everything, and I'm listening to Max McLean, you know, and thus saith the Lord, and, and yeah. And he was like, what are you listening to, bro? And I said, well, I'm listening to the Bible. You know, no music while I'm in the car because I'm trying to uh, saturate my mind with the Word of God. And he was like blown away. He was like, how much time do you spend in the car? I said, a couple hours a day probably. You know, he's like, wow. You know, I was like, yeah, you can really crank through the Bible at this pace, you know. Like, it's amazing. You're listening to someone else read it. In like a week, I've gone through the New Testament, you know. But there's a practice. It takes intentionality. We've got to figure out, we've got to wedge space into our lives to be able to do this. And for some, it's easier than others, right? For some of us, maybe we're in that amazing season of empty nestering and retirement or pseudo-retirement. And, you know, maybe it's a little bit easier for us to wedge that time and to be intentional. And some of us, you know, we're in the mayhem and chaos of newborns and spit-up and diapers, and we're just like... Ah, like if I could even get my hand to touch a Bible, that would be amazing. Um, or maybe we're in college and we're like, how do I fit this in my brain space with all these other things that I'm learning? And, you know, it's like draining from a fire hydrant of knowledge and information all the time. Whatever life stage we're in, we've got to find ways that work for us to create some space, to create some opportunities to Haggah. And I want to invite us this month to read through the book of Psalms and actually to practice some of these exercises where we mutter and meditate on the Psalms aloud, together and individually, and that we even learn how to sing some of these ancient poems that were written as songs. We no longer have the music that go with the songs, and for some of us, like the Mickeys of the church and stuff like that, it's like, great, man, I write my own notes, you know, the Joshua's and stuff, it's like, perfect, man, it's probably better than whatever Asaph had to sing anyways, but... For the rest of us, we're like, we can't even carry a tune. But that's okay. That's a part of what God is inviting us into. Even consider that, that God desires us to sing to him apart from what we sound like. That's radically different than what the world has to say. What does the world have to say? I can't believe how many singing reality TV shows there are now. It's like crazy. I'm like, how does this thing not run out of money yet? Like, apparently it struck a chord. We love seeing the emotional story and someone can carry an amazing tune. And, you know, my wife's a sucker for him. Boy, I should pull up every YouTube video and like, you know, it's some sap story about somebody that has, you know, overcome the power of the human spirit. And then they hit that note and it's like, and I, I, you know, sometimes I move to tears, you know, and I don't like admitting that, but sometimes it happens. And so there's something about song and music that's deep in the human experience. And God invites us there as well, whether we're musically inclined or not. 
And I remember learning some of this and being trained in some of these ways and having some of these exercises and practices and coming to discipleship groups and having to like randomly flip open to the psalm and start singing. Well, I'm in Isaiah. That doesn't work. We'll just try Song of Songs. That would be fun. Um, let's do Psalm 104. You know, they flowed over the mountains. They went down into the valleys, the place you assigned for them. Right? Perfect. All right, whatever. And so I'll never forget this woman opening up. I forget where it was. I think in the 70s, Psalm 70s. And, and the line was like a beast in the reeds. And she starts singing like a beast in the reeds. And we're just like doing everything we can not to crack up laughing. Like, what are we doing? We're singing about beasts in the reeds. But there's a lot of opportunity, I think, here for us to be invited to learn how to connect and experience God through these ancient poems, songs, prayers, and laments in new ways. And that through this, we experience God. And we get to experience each other. And we get to experience this counter-cultural exile worldview. It reminds us that there are beasts in the reeds waiting for us. And these beasts many times don't look like we expect them to look. And God invites us to think, act, and relate differently than the world tells us. So I want to encourage you to read through the Psalms this month. Utter, mutter, haggah, meditate these Psalms, sing them, write your own Psalms. Whether they're songs of praise or prayers or laments or like Pelumi, all of them in one. Let's learn how to and practice emoting with God and even doing that together. Many of us are in small discipleship groups. We call them iron groups here. Maybe that's something that you can do together with a few people in your life and even share and compile them together. Maybe write a psalm with someone else. That would be difficult, right? We got our own mess to lament over, you know. Now we're joining that with someone else. But this is how we can experience this kind of community as we are in exile here. Let's pray, and next week we're going to come back and continue to get weird with it. We're going to be in our roundtables. We're going to be doing more exercises. We're going to actually participate in church and not just spectate. And next week we're going to be praising and lamenting together. Let's pray as we get ready to close out. Father, you are the God of gods and the King of kings. And we struggle, at least I know I do, in my life to be still, to focus my mind, to think of what is pure and what is right and what is lovely and what is praiseworthy. To think on those kinds of things, God, constantly my mind is filled and focused on so many things that are not that. And God, I know this takes practice and it's a lifetime journey of meditating on your word and reading and rereading and reading together in community and seeing new layers and depths of beauty and complexity of your word. And God, I pray that as we are reading and rereading these 
ancient texts of wisdom, that you would give us wisdom. That you would help us to have a fear of you, a reverence and an awe. That writers long ago said the beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord. I pray, God, that we would be a community of people, that we would be a community of families, generations that fear you, that know that this world is not our home and all things are not yet made right, but we get to be a part of your kingdom coming. We get to be a part of setting people free and seeing captives released and the blind given sight. God, we love you. We thank you. Help us to learn how to emote with you and with each other, with ourselves. Help us to meditate on your word day and night. And in doing so, that we can experience life as you designed it. Life of peace and of joy. Life of faith and hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Faith Fuel podcast. We look forward to seeing you next time.